This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. When we lived in Kentucky before coming to Finley, we traveled with our youth group down to Arizona. We did a mission trip, working on a reservation, serving the Native Americans there. And uh, we had several different projects that we worked on when we were there. One was that we, we offered a VBS-style Bible study for the children there on the reservation. We also did some construction on houses there. Uh, one of the houses was uh, in the early stages, and so we had teenagers working with us doing a lot of the, uh, the little details like uh, running PEX water lines through the house, running uh, electrical wiring through the exposed studs. The, the, roof, the roof was on, the walls were up, but we needed to put in all the, the inside kinds of things. And then we were putting insulation uh, in the ceiling. And after that, we got to work a little bit with drywall with teenagers. It was a, a, quite an ordeal. The other house we were working on was in the final stages. And that house, uh, we got to paint the outside of it white. I know you're thinking, teenagers, paint, is probably not, not a great situation, you know, paint getting on people more than house. Actually, they did a really good job. They were, they were restrained. But because we were working in Arizona in the summer, the heat was really high. If you've ever been there in the summer, the humidity's low, but the temperature, way high. The teenagers from Kentucky that we had with us weren't quite ready for that kind of heat. One of the, the guys that was there, in particular, struggled a little bit, feeling well and uh, getting getting worn out. And and one of the days we were finishing up painting the outside of the house. There was a, an old work truck that they used to to move supplies from the mission to the reservation. Beat up, scratched up, you know, great work truck. Um, and we were we were wrapping things up. And he he came to me and said, you know, I, I really want to help. I know I haven't been much help today, but I really want I really want to be a part of this. Okay, great. Uh, right now we need to put the paint in the back of the truck, all the, all the supplies, all the things we were using to paint, get all those things in there. He said, great, I can do that. And I turned to talk to somebody else and give instructions to talk about what we were doing. And I heard someone say, what are you doing? Which is not a great thing to hear when you're working with teenagers. Mm -hmm. So I turn around and this kid has one of those extension poles that you put a roller on the end to paint the high up places. Rolling paint in the back of a pickup truck. Stop, come here. Why are you painting someone else's truck? Oh, you said put the paint in the truck. I thought you wanted me to paint the bed of the truck. No, no. No, no. I wanted you to pick up the bucket of paint and set it in the back of the truck, not paint the truck. Luckily, he hadn't gotten very far. We wiped it out. And also, the, the people working at the mission were very gracious and kind, and it was an old beat-up truck anyway. It, did, it, it was not a big deal. But the issue we had was information. Not that the information wasn't present. Not that he hadn't heard the information. The problem came with understanding the information and acting appropriately on that information. As we move into Romans chapter 10, this is a, a great deal of what Paul is talking about. Receiving information, understanding that information, believing that information, and then acting on it. 
by faith, living according to the, the truth that we have taken in. And so we're going to, to read Paul's words. And remember, he's writing to the believers in Rome, the Jewish believers, the Gentile believers who make up the church there. This particular passage, he's writing to them, not only about their faith, but also in particular about the Israel, the people of Israel who have not accepted Christ, who do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's going to talk specifically about that group of people as he's as he is communicating with the believers there. Let's begin reading in chapter 10, verse 1. If you have a Bible, I recommend you read along with us. The words will be on the screen. If you have a phone or tablet and you want to use the YouVersion app, you can open up the YouVersion app, search under events for Parkview Finley, and you'll find scripture and sermon notes for our sermon today. Let's begin reading together. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, the opening of this passage, the first paragraph here, parallel to the opening of chapter 9. If you recall last week, we talked about Paul expressing his sorrow over the spiritual condition of the people of Israel. He's heartbroken over them, so much so that he, he said, if it was possible, I would cut myself off from Christ if they would all believe in him. That, that's a huge sacrifice, an expression of how broken he is over their spiritual condition. Today, as we read in chapter 10, we, we find that while he expressed sorrow then, now his response to their spiritual condition is prayer for the people of Israel. His prayer is that they might be saved through a proper understanding of the knowledge that has been set before them. Knowledge that they, they would believe what they once refused to acknowledge as true. Now, the, the situation they were in, the people of Israel, was not because of a lack of effort, not because a, of a lack of desire or interest. They were ardently devoted to God, dedicated, disciplined people. Their lives were marked by sacrifice, ritual, observance of the law and of celebration and worship. But they had grown so accustomed to working out their own righteousness through obedience that they would not accept that Christ was the Messiah who came to provide righteousness through his sacrifice. Paul's words remind us, salvation comes through Christ alone, not from earning our own righteousness. Now we hear about the people of Israel struggling with this concept because they had been living according to law. And we wonder, does that really understandable today. How, how do we approach that mindset? We, we haven't been living according to a law. It's difficult for us to wrap our minds around, but if we think in broad terms about the prevalent thought in our world today, there are many people who, who the purpose of their lives is to be a good person. They have dedicated themselves. They, they want their legacy to be they, their hope for the future, for eternity, is that, that they would be known as a good person through their integrity, through their kindness and generosity, that the good of their life would outweigh the, the wrong, the bad, the sin, the negative things, that they would be known as a good person, that that would carry them through. There are some who have been looking for a way to discover their own righteousness, and while they have rejected organized religion, not for me, they would say, they've decided to explore. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll research what other religions have to say. Maybe I'll, I'll, 
I'll research other worldviews. There are some things about Christianity that I like, but maybe I, I, there, I like some of the things that I, I've heard from other religions. Maybe I'll, I'll piece together a best of, a compilation point of view. After all, there are many ways, right? Well, according to Scripture, there is one way to the Father. In fact, Jesus, in the book of John, said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Here in our passage today, Paul says specifically, Christ is the culmination of the law, the fulfillment of the law and its requirements. And Christ put an end to legalism that came from the law, this mindset of perfection, obedience. And so our relationship with God is no longer to be considered as a creditor that we owe, that we're trying to pay back a debt, no longer to be considered a judge, and we are criminals standing before him waiting to be punished. No, in Christ, we've been given righteousness. And we stand before the Lord, recipients of grace and love, mercy from God. And yet that concept is still difficult for us to wrap our minds around. So many people today have difficulty understanding that truth because they're so devoted to their own idea of who God is. An idea that's been pieced together from lots of different places, much of it from their childhood when they heard about who God is. And they began piecing together their picture of God. And very much of that picture is accurate and clear and beautiful, but there are small pieces that are flawed in their understanding. And because of that, the picture of God is not quite accurate, and they have misunderstandings about how they live in relationship to that God. Now, they're so devoted to that mindset that when they are confronted with truth, when we are confronted with truth, it becomes a more difficult process for us to accept the truth that's in front of us and to submit to the truth that we read in Scripture. Submission is a difficult word for us to take hold of because it requires us to defer to the authority of God and his word. It calls us to let go of our own control and abide by, yield to the authority of God. It's so hard to do. And yet so important if we're going to keep an accurate, clear picture of who God is. It also reminds us of the responsibility that we have in handling the word of God and speaking about and teaching the word of God as a minister, as those who, who teach in Bible studies, who sit next to each other and, and connect groups, talking about God's word, how, how very careful we need to be in accurately articulating the word of God so that we can share an accurate, clear picture of who God is and live our lives according to that truth. It's important for us to not water down the truth of Scripture, adapting it to meet the culture in our world today, but instead being dedicated to the information that we read, allowing God's Word to shape our lives, allowing our lives to begin shaping the culture around us as we carefully handle God's Word. Paul's words continue in Romans Chapter 10, verse 5, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. 
Now, in his explanation here, Paul quoted from the Old Testament, using passages that would be familiar to people of Israel, connecting those passages with the truth he wanted to be understood. This uh, particular passage is a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses was speaking the word of God to the Israelites. Here's what Moses said. Now that I, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it, nor is it beyond the sea so you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. Notice the, the similarities. In the same way that God provided his law to the Israelites, made it readily available, he also provided his son as a sacrifice. Jesus, who chose to leave his place in heaven and walk the earth among us, people who would struggle to believe in him, who by the power of the indwelling spirit in our lives is in our hearts, his messages on our lips. Christ, who was crucified and yet didn't remain in the tomb, who resurrected three days later, he is alive. There's no reason to go looking for him among the dead. He is present, readily available. This message of truth, spoken and believed, it was in their mouths, in their hearts. It was important for the Jewish believers to take hold of the message so that they could be saved. And Paul's explanation of who can be saved here is not a complete set of instructions on how to be saved. Paul's providing pieces of the process. And other pieces he's spoken about in other places. Primarily, this is important for the, the Israelites to understand that just because they have believed in God, they have been dedicated to him, does not mean that they will automatically receive grace. Salvation is found in Christ alone. And so the Jews who refused to believe in Christ would not automatically receive grace. But the Gentiles, who had not been dedicated to God's law, who had not had faith in God before, who believed in Jesus Christ, would be accepted and find salvation in his name. Verse 11 continues, the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all who richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So Paul points us to a critical question for us in thinking about the Jews who didn't believe in Jesus. Is it their fault? Is it their fault that they don't believe in Jesus? There's so many things that have to happen in a particular order in order for them to hear the message that they need to believe in. There needs to be someone sent with that message. That person who's sent needs to preach the message. They need to be present to hear that message. And then when they hear that message, then they believe and act on it in faith. So what if a piece of that sequence is missing? What if that chain of events is broken in some way? Is it, is it the fault of the people of Israel that they haven't had an opportunity to hear the message and accept Christ? And Paul's answer coming up is, no, they have. They have had that opportunity. They have heard. This process has taken place. But while they've heard the information, they didn't accept it as true. And if they accepted it as true, they didn't act on it in faith. Now, there's a big difference between hearing information, knowing information is in front of us. We might even agree with that information, but if we're not willing to act on it, we're not willing to live on it, 
live by it. There's a difference. And we have examples that we can understand more easily. Think in terms of finance. When your finances are a wreck, you're deeply in debt. There's a simple truth that you can accept, information that is helpful, that your income needs to be greater than your expenses. You live within your means. And when you do that consistently, you will find that you have money to pay off the debt that you owe and then begin saving after that. That's as simple as I can boil it down. Now, if we all say this is a financial truth, we can all hear it, we can all agree that that's true. But when it comes time to cut out those expenses, that's when it gets difficult. Living according to the truth that we can acknowledge is true. When it comes time to say, what can I give up? Is cable really necessary? Is that $5 cup of coffee every day really something that I need? Or is it something that is creating difficulty for me financially? What about in terms of your health? When you're feeling unhealthy. When you know things aren't right in your life, health-wise, we can apply a simple equation, very much like a financial equation. The calories that you take in must be less than the calories that you burn in physical exercise, living within your means. When you do that consistently, you'll begin to feel healthier. You'll begin to to recognize the value of that equation, which means we need to cut out the unhealthy foods that have a lot of calories. We need to eat less of most things and choose a better diet. And we also need to get up and get moving and get active. And when we do that consistently, we'll find, feel much better. I can, I can hear that. I can, I can say, yes, that is true. But when your church gives away bacon, what do you do? When you walk by the potato chip bag and you have to restrain yourself from reaching in when it's time for dessert or seconds on dessert, you have a decision to make an opportunity to live by the truth that you can agree with. These are all things we have to keep in mind, especially when we think in terms of faith, the truth that we have in front of us that we can agree with and believe, but are we willing to act on it? Paul wrapped up this section of Scripture with a very interesting phrase that reminds us of the importance of the message, this truth that needs to be present in the lives of every person. And his words remind us that we have a responsibility to share the gospel. Here's here's what he said. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Now, this is a reference to the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, when the people of Israel were in captivity in Babylon. The message came to them that freedom was coming. And here's what Isaiah said, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. It's beautiful. Now, the question I have for you is uncomfortable. Not a question that I would ask you face to face, but there's some distance here. We're in a big group. I think it's okay. Here's the question. What do your feet look like? I know it's awkward. Before you say, I got hobbit feet, they're big and hairy, I want to remind you, I'm not talking about necessarily whether or not you have your toenails painted. I'm asking, have you made a decision to make your feet more beautiful by carrying the the message of Jesus? 
If we consider our spiritual condition of being held captive to sin in terms of a real physical condition, it helps us understand this picture that Paul's painting. If you were in a cell, iron bars, laying on the ground, shackled, and all you could see of people walking by, coming and going, were their feet, how would you describe those feet? Some feet that you'd be indifferent toward, common feet. They don't look good, they don't look bad, because they're the feet of people who don't care whether you're in that prison or not. They're people walking by, absolutely indifferent to you, and it would respond, would follow that you're indifferent to those feet as well. There are other feet that are ugly feet, horrible feet. You hate to see them coming. Why? They're the guards, making sure that you're still in the cell, punishing you for any infraction. Those are the feet that you hate to see. There are other feet that you're familiar with, you're comfortable with, that you like to see, whether they're beautiful feet or not. Why? Because they're the feet of those who are coming to care for you, to bring food and water, a change of clothes. And then there are the beautiful feet that come. The feet that as you see them walking up to your cell, you can hear the jingling of keys on their belt. And when those feet stop in front of the door, the lock turns and the door comes open. Those are the feet that bring hope. Those are the beautiful feet that you want to see coming because it means your freedom from captivity. That is the imagery that Paul is providing for us in terms of the gospel message. Are your feet beautiful feet? Do people love to see you coming because they know you're bringing hope, because you're bringing a message of love and grace and truth, a message of Jesus Christ, of hope for freedom from captivity to sin? That's what Paul is calling us to take hold of, this message that makes our feet beautiful. I know it's weird, but it's what he says. Continues in verse 16. Not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. The Israelites heard the message, but they were... They were ignorant to the message. Not because they were stupid. That's not what I'm saying. They were very intelligent people. But they chose to be ignorant about this information. Now, ignorance is something that we all can very easily slip into. Ignorance comes in a variety of ways. There's, there's ignorance that comes from apathy. Laziness. Indifference. This is the ignorance that comes from not taking in the information that's readily at hand. When you sign a lease agreement without reading all of the terms of that agreement, when you are doing something on your computer and the EULA comes up and says, have you read and agreed to all the terms of this agreement? And you click the box without opening up the document or even skimming it. Click. Now, think about this kind of ignorance. Are you still bound by the terms of that agreement even though you didn't read them? Yes, you are. If your landlord comes to you and says, Sorry, you've broken the terms of your lease. You're going to have to pay a fine. 
Can you say to your landlord, well, I didn't know about the terms of that agreement? Yes, you can say that, but it's not going to do any good because you signed on the bottom line. And whether you took in the information that was available or not is irrelevant to the situation. It's ignorance because of apathy. There's other ignorance that comes because you chose to ignore the information that was there. You willfully closed your eyes to the truth that you didn't want to see, willfully closed your ears to the truth you didn't want to hear. You ignored it. Now, you may have seen this played out when a child is playing a video game. A parent calls out to them, turn that off, go clean your room. And it's not until a parent stands in front of them, did you hear me? They finally look up and go, oh, oh, no, I, I didn't hear you. Why? They've tuned out that voice. The spouse who's reading the paper, watching the television, who does not hear their spouse calling for help with the dishes or the trash, what have you, until the other spouse stands in front of them. Did you not hear me? Hmm? Why? Because they've tuned out that voice. Now, I'm not going to say which spouse is which. We all know probably who we're talking about. The situation remains. When we don't want to acknowledge information, we have a habit of ignoring it. When we know, when we're well aware of habit, an indulgent, a way of life, a, a friendship that the, the truth is plain as day, but we just don't want to acknowledge that what we're doing is wrong. We just ignore that. There's also the ignorance that involves accepting a lie. Because the lie is more comfortable. The lie is easier. And instead of dealing with the difficult truth that, that is plain as day, we rationalize, we justify, we turn to something that's false. Acting as though it's the truth so that we don't have to go through the difficult process of dealing with the truth. So we don't have to make any difficult decisions. So we don't have to turn any difficult pages. The reality of truth is that at some point we have to make a decision. When we hear it, will we believe it? When we believe it, will we choose to live by it? There are decisions that have to be made. And in terms of our faith, the decisions that we're going to have to come to, especially when we have been given this incredible message of hope and freedom. The reality that we have to come to terms with is that God waits patiently for our decision. A decision that has to be made at some point. But God waits patiently. When we look in the history of the Old Testament, we see that in terms of God's people, the, the Israelites, he has been incredibly patient. As we read through those stories in the Old Testament, providing them with the law, providing them with promises, and waiting for them to respond. Watching as they turn away from him to worship other gods. Waiting as they recognize their, their fall and repent and turn back to him. God has expressed his patience over and over and over again. His incredible patience. And we wonder, why don't the Israelites wake up and realize what they're doing? When will they get serious? When will they stop putting this off and live according to the truth that's right in front of them? And then we think about who we are in relationship to the Lord. The truth that is in front of us. 
the changes that we know need to be made. And yet we, we're reluctant to make those difficult decisions. In some ways, because of how patient God has been. We abuse that patience. We stretch that patience. Because we're just not quite ready to follow through. Maybe because we're not quite ready to submit to the Lord. That there, there are plans that we have that are going to require a lot of effort, a lot of energy. And maybe once we get those things accomplished, then, then we'll be ready to turn to the Lord. Then, then we'll, we'll be ready to commit. We'll be ready to, to do the difficult things that, that we're not quite ready to accept yet. Maybe, maybe it's because we don't know enough about the Bible to make a confident decision. Maybe because we haven't, we haven't accepted and believed all the truth that's in front of us. and We, we just feel like we need to know more. Maybe it's because we, we look inside of ourselves and we see things that we know shouldn't be there. We feel like in order to accept this truth, in order to begin living by it, we need to get rid of some of this stuff. We need, to, we need to make ourselves right before we come to the Lord. Maybe we look inside of ourselves and see all these things that we know shouldn't be there. And the difficulty in making a decision is that we don't want to let go. We don't want to have to give up those things that, that we really enjoy. And so instead of making a difficult choice, we remain shackled to our sin. Now God is patient, excessively patient. And God is waiting. But there will come a day when we can no longer put off that decision. And the challenge we have today is to recognize the truth that's in front of us and to take responsibility for our lives and to see the value and the hope and the joy that comes from believing that truth and acting on it in faith. Second Peter chapter three says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It is God's desire that you would hear the message of truth, that you would believe it with your heart and that you would accept it and begin living according to it. And this morning, I want to offer a time for you to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior to believe in your heart, to confess with your mouth, to repent, be baptized in his name, to, to begin this life, to make this difficult decision, maybe that you've been putting off for a long time, that you would finally, finally make it your own. I also want to challenge those of you who are Christians to think about what it is that God is calling you to, to recognize the value of having beautiful feet, Knowing the people that you walk by on a daily basis, that when you see them, you feel that tug, you recognize the pain that they're in, the difficulty that they're in, and you know that you have a message of hope, a message that could free them from the sin in their lives, a message that could bring them into the joy and the peace of living for the Lord. Are you willing to carry that message to them? Are you willing to be that ambassador of truth? It's a difficult decision to make, but one that, when I say it, we need to stop testing the patience of the Lord and make it. This morning, if you have a decision to make, if there's anything in your life you need prayer for, please come forward as we stand and sing together.